This is The Yarn. It's a podcast to and for the Australian wool industry. My name's Marius Cumming and I'm here with Ben Madgwick from uh, the AWI Graduate Program. G'day Ben, how are you? Very well, thanks Marius. How are you going? Very well indeed. Now, the market has uh, started again. We're going to be talking about where the wool market uh, is and uh, what's driving the market. Yeah, it's off and running. It is. The uh, 2019 season's up and running. And uh, we're just talking before how you're in the middle of shearing at the moment. How did it all go? Yeah, it went pretty well, Ben. Uh, as a wool grower, it's a, it's always a stressful time of year, um, getting shearers in. And uh, it's the, you sort of see the results of your, your hard work for throughout the year, uh, being a harvest. But it's always... Uh, a really enjoyable time but also quite a stressful time. Do you like to sell your clips straight away? Well financially I kind of have to, there's, there's really no <laughs> choice in that. Um, being uh, someone who has a, a pretty healthy debt um, it's all got to be tipped into a, a fairly large hole so um, yeah it's got to be straight away but I have to admit I'm interested in looking at WoolQ possibilities as well as the trading platform is about to get up and running so um, uh, all options are on the table Ben. Okay. Well, uh, I think AWI's trade consultant, Scott Carmody, is hanging around the office today. Let's see if we can uh, grab him and catch up with him on some of the insights of the markets for this year. Yeah, Scott, come over here. Scott, uh, happy new year. Lovely to see you again. Thank you. Scott, um, what's the sentiment in the market uh, last week and this week? Sentiment's quite quite buoyant. Um, despite the heavy volumes, we, we've um, been hit with 50,000 bale sales, which are you know three or four of the larger volumes that we've been faced with this season already. Um, the prices are somewhat surprising to most participants as people were expecting a bit of a dull market. China was reporting a little bit of lack of even want of machinery demand. So they, for the comeback and see the market appreciate by 3.2% over two weeks is, is quite surprising. Um, as I said, the demand out of China's um, stagnant, pretty similar to what we experienced before Christmas. It's hard to write new business. It's... Um, if you want to write a new business, you've got to be pretty pretty sharp on the pencil. You've got to go pretty low. And at the moment, we're looking at you know, 20 to 30 US cents you know, below the current ruling levels if you want to uh, achieve any sort of business. So um, for what the local market's doing and for what the major market, which is China, is reporting as soft demand, um, you've got to look at our supply situation and just say, listen, um, I think the world's woken up to the fact that uh, there, there is not a dearth of wool available. There's no stocks anymore. And if you want wool, you have to go to the prompt market and buy it and pay the prompt price. And that's what we're seeing. The ongoing drought conditions across many wool growing regions obviously has been affecting the quality of wool coming onto the market and therefore a lot of drought superfine wool. Um, How is that uh, continuing to... Uh, meet the market? Well, we're definitely seeing the numbers. You're, you're quite right, Marius. The, the numbers of 18.5 micron and uh, finer we're seeing is actually increased year to year. Uh, so whilst the overall volume of tests through the AWTA is sort of pointing to that 12 to 15% loss of national production for the for the current 2018-19 season, um, we're actually seeing in the 18.5, which is a super fine category, we're seeing an increase in supply. And for those wools to be holding where they are, it's a quite a good indicator that there is an underlying strength here somewhere in the market. It's obviously price dependent because the price gaps have narrowed to their coarser counterparts, so 9.5, 21 micron, which is the next groups down. They're quite close. You're, you're sort of talking only 60 to 70 cents be, between those full micron points. So um, as, as long as that gap remains, 
the Chinese and other users, the European lower uh, end top making and also the Indians will continue to soak up those prices at those levels because they look attractive in comparison to their coarser counterparts and with the volume of those coarse wools in, in very much a lack of supply, you can only call it lack of supply, you know, particularly 21 and 22 and a half micron types, um, they're, they're hard to find. So. Uh, the price of the wool's compacting into one, which is but, but when you're talking about 22, 2300 cents clean for merino fleece of any description, I think we're pretty safe to say that people want to continue to grow wool at those levels. And as long as we get a bit of rain in the eastern states and South Oz and other drought um, affected areas, you know, things should be good. Uh, just back to the test results, um, are you finding that the staple strength is quite consistent with a consistently dry season across the summer or are we getting some breakages in the test samples? Yeah, Ben, it, the test results are, I think the test house, AWTA, are reporting around a 0.4 to 0.5 reduction in NKT, uh, which is quite good. You know, the Merino is a, he's a good animal, you know, so they... They, they do very well in, in these tough conditions, and as long as they keep the tucker, you know, a minimum regime up to them, they do very well, and that protein conversion into wool stable, it, it's continuing along nicely. In fact, a lot of the clips this year are, you know, OK, the yield's a little bit suffering down, a little bit more dust going through the wool, but the actual wool quality within itself is surprisingly good. I'm sure that the processors overseas won't be disappointed. The wools that they're getting are still quite OK. Yes, they're drought-affected, they are drought-fine, but... The staple strength, um, the cleanliness within, you know, apart from the dust, you know, and the dust is, is, is accommodated by, you know, our scouring, the techniques are good there to clear that. So, no, I think the process will be very happy with that and the drought is not affecting the overall wool quality. It's just probably, you know, the biggest effect, I dare to say, is the half a kilo or kilo loss of weight that each uh, sheep is, is getting and that, that affects the growers' bottom line. But these prices... You know, it's going to keep people handy um, in returns and keep them interested in producing wool as a you know, viable enterprise. Worth, uh, worth continuing to supplementary feed for, perhaps. Uh, it's a really important time of year in the wool cycle in the uh, Northern Hemisphere winter, of course. Uh, it's cold, people buy wool, um, um, selling seasons uh, take place. What are we hearing, or is it too early to, uh, to gauge what uh, wool sales have been like in the Northern Hemisphere this winter? I'm a little bit advantaged here, and I get to hear a lot of what AWI are doing around the world, and they've got some good information channels. Um, we're hearing that it was a very slow start to the winter selling, but apparently that comes because it was a quite a mild start to the winter. Now it's really kicked in, and we're seeing some very cold temperatures hit in across Europe. The sales have actually gone gangbusters in the last two to three weeks, which is funny, you know. They've experienced minus 20s in Greece and companies, uh, countries like that, and once they get that, people do go to the shops and they do buy that coat or that sweater and, that, and they do spend the money. And I think the consumer is well aware these days that that coat or that, that sweater must be made of wool for it to achieve the value in warmth. So the figures are, yep, slow to start, and that probably was reflected in the market, but these days um, market's increasing and I, and I look to the carding, you know, the carding types and the carding types are slowly been appreciating over the last two, three sales and that's a really good indicator that, you know, that, that end of the market which is quite often, you know, misnamed as being a cheap end of the market which is not but it's coating and sweaters, that's showing improvement and that's a three to four percent improvement in a very short space of time and that's generally indicative that those sales in the northern hemisphere are increasingly um, showing better results. And as, as time goes by, the stocks, which through the supply chain this year, um, unusually are held at garment stage, 
that's starting to clear now and probably that's at a little bit of a loss for those manufacturers but they now can clear stocks cash a bit of money in and then relook at the new season and they'll be looking at the next two or three months to to really have a close look at what they want to produce for next year's selling yeah and that autumn you know winter selling next year so an important part of the cycle now ben you've um, you've been part of the AWI Graduates Program. You've been over in London for some time. You've had a first-hand look at what we do uh, in Europe. What did you get up to over there? Yeah, I've just uh, gotten back from London at the start of December. So um, I was fortunate enough to not only be in London, but also get over to Italy and, and France for some trade shows and to visit some mills as well. Uh, so basically, yeah, I, d- I did get some good exposure to uh, the latter end of the um, of the supply chain. Tell us a little bit about the trade shows because it's not something that we communicate a lot about, but it's something that's a very important part of what AWI does, and that is talking to buyers about getting wool into um, ranges of uh, uh, top-end retailers or sporting retailers or all these new markets that you talk of. What actually happens at these trade shows? Give us an example. Yeah, so the Walmart company is present at, uh, at several trade shows across Europe. They range from um, sporting and outdoor trade shows to uh, the traditional um, fabric trade shows such as Premier Vision. You know, basically buyers are there and, and they're looking for fabrics from, from suppliers. So the Walmart company has a stand there as a presence and to offer advice. We also have our trend booklet, the Wool Lab, there as well to offer this season's trends, um, the up and coming fabrics that have been put together by a studio in uh, Prato, Italy called Riccardo Rami. Um, and they get different fabrics from all over the world and, and collate them into this trend booklet. So, yeah, the Walmart company is there at these trade shows showing that trend booklet and being a presence. Now Ben, you've been a young, younger bloke, younger than Marius and myself. Um, quite often the fashion trend is developed by young roosters and hens walking around the streets of London and, and what, what, what are you seeing, what are, they, what are they wanting to dress like? Is it you know, a various um, casualisation are you seeing or are people wanting to look a little bit more business-like or, or what's the trend you're seeing when you're spending your time over in London? I think compared to Australia, they're much more formal over there. It goes with the climate as well. People can afford to dress more properly in a suit and tie and, and not be uncomfortable. But I was, yeah, I was really surprised at the amount of younger people my age, you know, still dressing in suits. The styles of suits are changing, but they're still, they're still dressing formally. Obviously, there is a growing trend in the athleisure and sportswear industry as well. People, you know, in the more creative industries are going to work in yoga pants and whatnot. So if we can tap into those markets as well, then we're going to see some good results. Yeah, can I just put in really quickly now, Scott, could you please, please not turn up to work in yoga pants? Well, I just had a fashion choice just taken away from me, haven't I? (laughs) But um, you also spent a bit of time in Italy as well, Ben. So tell us a bit about your time uh, in the mills there. Yeah, so I um, had a tour of, of a few mills, one Vitale Barberis Canonico in the north of Italy and, uh, and, and another woolen mill as well in, in the Biella region. You know, the, the history and the connections with these Italian mills is huge. Yeah, we just want to keep that going because they're such good buyers of, of Australian merino wool. Vitale Barberis Canonico is over 350 years old. So by the time Australia's merino wool was our main export, they'd, they'd already been going for 150 years. So they've got some experience under their belt in terms of wool processing. Righto. So, Ben, basically, have you come back from your experience uh, in Europe more or less enthusiastic about the future 
for wool. I've come back much more enthusiastic um, about the future of wool to get a first-hand experience of, of it being actually processed and, and worn. You know, you see it in Australia, but just not to the scale that it's, it's been consumed over there. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about keeping those connections going. And it's hard for, for us, I suppose, in a way, in that we produce 90-something uh, percent of the, the world's apparel wool, but basically all of it is sold in the Northern Hemisphere. So the wool growers that we work for are a very, very long way away from most of the marketing. I'm very excited, though, that the fact that, you know, through a lot of innovations, and a lot of those were through the AWI and the Woolmark Company, and, and I've been lucky enough to be close to a lot of this new development over the last eight to ten years, is... I never thought I'd see the day when you know, sneakers were made of wool and um, you know, people were going to have a coffee in the morning and they're wearing a wool t-shirt and they're wearing you know, wool all over their body and you know, it looks good, it looks sharp and you know, no one's scratching, no one's itching. You know? So I think the whole perception of wool has turned around and I think the rapid progression of that over the last five to ten years, I think that's why we're now looking at a price of wool that's, you know, dare I say it, and I don't want to put the mock on it, but you know, sustainable at these levels would be great for wool growers and to attract our younger wool growers back in the game. If these prices stay, that will be a viable enterprise and wool growing as an industry will be viable and, and it's a first choice now. It's, it's become a first choice use of land and that is wool growing and price of mutton, price of lamb is good, but I mean, you can't beat, you know, $100, $120 a year fleeces I mean that that's great money and as an industry we've got a lot to look forward to and uh, sustainability is our key not only in our environment and our product but also in sustainability of price is the main concern. Thank you very much for joining us today thanks for having a yarn with us and we'll catch you again soon. Thanks Maris. So that's Scott Carmody, AWI's trade consultant, and with me here today has also been Ben Madgwick uh, from the AWI Graduates Program. Guys, thank you very much for joining us um, on The Yarn today. Um, ben, um, we're going to be hearing a bit more from you on The Yarn. Yeah, hopefully I'll be hanging around. Well, we certainly hope you are. <laughs> it's, uh, look, if you enjoy The Yarn uh, or if you have something that you would like us to, uh, to follow up, uh, please email us at theyarn at wool.com. Head to iTunes and leave a review and help us to promote uh, what is pretty much the only, well, one of very few podcasts in Australian agriculture. But from me, Marius Cumming and Ben Madrick, thanks for your company. Mm-hmm.